Hey everyone, this is Jack from TDP. Just want to come in and remind you that we are still running our uh, contest for new subscribers. We're in the third week now. You still have time, but don't wait too much longer. Uh, there's a big cash prize in it for you, and details are at the end of this podcast. Um, talk about Seoul a little bit more. So you were raised on a U.S. military base there? Well, outside of one. Um, outside of one, and okay. And I'd go to school on it. Uh, but no, Seoul is... Oh, man. There's nothing like it, really, I think, in America. New York is probably close, like New York City. But even then, like, multiply the foot traffic in New York City by three, and then you're reaching Seoul. Like, it's wow. congested. Wow. There. Yeah. I um, mean, like I said, 20 million people. Yeah, 20... Pl- uh, I think it's... Well, actually, I think in Seoul, it's about 15, 16 million right now. Um, a, a little figure I like bringing up is if you take basically the entire population of Ohio, like the whole state, and then yeah. shoved it into the square mileage of Columbus, Ohio, yeah. that's roughly Seoul. Wow. I don't even know how you breathe. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. I think there's more people in Seoul than all of Ohio. Maybe. It's close. Yeah, it's close. It's, it's I want to look that up, but it's close. Yeah. So, so tell me this. I'm sure you're probably getting asked this all the time, but you know do you have you visited the demilitarized zone or is that like not a thing for you you're just like ah eh, whatever <laughs> okay. that's just 30 miles away like yeah. that's a more tourist trap or what okay so you know how disneyland's like the happiest place on earth mm-hmm. i've i've come like this is something that you'll only really feel after living in korea for a while and then visiting the dmz maybe once or twice in your life you're saying it's this it's the actually the happiest place on earth <laughs> <laughs> yeah no all the guards are smiling like all the footage yeah. you see is a you know it's just a joke no all the um, all the <laughs> All the uh, missile silos have rainbows. Over <laughs> They're full of confetti. Yeah, it's it's all just a, <laughs> just a hype, a scam. No, wow. uh, the DMZ is probably one of the most boring places on Earth, I think. To actually visit, right? Yes. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, there's the whole, you know, north and south tension and all that stuff. And granted, it's getting a little worse because of what North Korea's been doing recently. Um, but for the most part, like living in Seoul, which is really close to the border, actually, if you look at it on the map. Um, yeah. It's it, like 30, 40 miles away. Yeah. It it kind of numbs you to the idea like, oh, yeah, a rogue state is like 50 miles away from us. That's cool, I guess. Um, you kind of forget that it's a big threat. You know, it, it kind of just feels more like it's unfortunate that half of Korea is, has to be that way. Mm-hmm. And the DMZ is just this. It, it's the epitome of all things boring about the tension wow. between the two. Because, you know, the, they kind of scare you into like, you know, the tour guides say, don't don't make any funny faces at the guards or anything like that but for the most part you're just kind of crawling through tunnels like seeing the tunnels that people have dug between the north and south like during wartime and Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. and you know you kind of see a couple like buildings that they used to negotiate but nothing ever actually happens so it just feels speaking of those negotiating oh go ahead sorry it just feels lame just feels kind of boring like why did i come here i could have actually gone to a uh, pc bong and (laughs) Yeah, played StarCraft all day. Yeah. <laughs> the national sport of South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you. So, speaking of those meeting rooms, you've been in 
some of those rooms where they do the negotiations where like it's literally a table in there and it's like split down the middle and like one side of this table you're in north korea the other side you're in south korea yep you sat at that table that historic table yep did you go to the north side nope you can't you can't sit on the other side of the table no i thought you were allowed to go to the the north side of the table as long as you didn't leave that building you can't even cross the table I mean, it's been a while since I've toured there, okay, but I right. don't remember them letting us go to the other side. I imagine once you, that's the kind of thing, like once you do it, you're like, all right, check that box. Like you probably don't need to go back because it hasn't changed literally for the last, what, half century. Yeah. Although yeah. it might in the next decade or so. Who knows? Man. I mean, so you see just wired fences and what do you see like in the land there? Like, do you see like factories? Do you see buildings, uh-huh. cars driving? What do you see on the north side? On the north side, it's actually very desolate. Well, not desolate. That's not the right word, but it just... You say it, actually like that's not what I expect you to say. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, how do you put it? It just, it looks like man has not touched that place. You know, it looks very like natural, a lot of green. Um, like when you look far into North Korea, um, huh. it just, it looks like, uh, there's no industry, you know, there's no infrastructure right. really anywhere. Um, and I've seen photos of like Pyongyang, which I've never been, of course, but mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. see that and like parts of it look kind of city-like, but it still always has oh, that yeah. hint of uh, like sadness. Like the alleyways look really dilapidated and like people rarely look happy in North Korea. Very gray what I've seen of North Korea, but I have seen lots of accounts or photos of people smiling and partying like there's always celebrating going on i can't really comment on what they're celebrating but that's what i've seen and and a lot of people don't realize this it's kind of a surprise when they hear this about pyongyang but if you were to say you know with all the great coliseums in europe and in america and just all and in china and everywhere across the world you know all the great cities that have hosted olympics and everything when you actually look at the facts and find out that you know what the largest stadium in the world is in Pyongyang, North Korea. Yep. That holds the most people. And also what is it? The correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it the largest hotel in the world as well? Like the tallest, uh, largest by rooms. I'm not a hundred percent on that one. Okay. It's like this weird building that almost looks like a, a giant elongated pyramid that has been like under construction for like 40, 50 years or something like that. And they just now recently finished it and let people start staying in the hotel. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like one of the biggest parts of the skyline there. I don't know. I don't remember it. I okay. Remember hearing but about it. yeah, I mean, check, I'll check it out later, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's supposedly, uh, the largest hotel in the world, like considering <laughs> everything in Las Vegas and it, and everything, you just wouldn't expect that. It's just such a strange place and it's yeah. fascinating, fascinating to me. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an isolated world where all the people are forced into believing that their leader is a literal God. Yeah. Know, an actual for real God who can no, control what no, they do. He, and- he, yeah, yeah, I hear all these crazy things. So, yeah, but that's probably enough of the history channel because this is the <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the Tiny Disc Podcast. So, welcome to TDP, a show about games and life. I'm your host Robert Scarpinito, and I'm joined here by Jack Cepeda. Robert, you're my dear leader. Thank you, and also I just want you to know. <laughs> and we're also joined by no wait, never mind. Colin isn't here this week. Oh no! Uh, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it took us uh, a while to get this one set up. We had a lot of technical difficulties, and I'm pretty sure not having Colin here had a lot to do with it. 
Who knew that he was the glue that held this technical masterpiece together? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, no, our third pillar of this podcast, Colin Sparling, will not be joining us this week. He will be back next week, though. It's fine. It's fine. He's enjoying his his, uh, vacation. Hope you're having a good time, Colin. You know he's listening to this podcast, so uh, have a a margarita on me. Yeah, have a margarita. Actually, on you, because I'm not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, he's off celebrating 4th of July, and as well to all our American listeners, happy uh, Independence Day. I uh, hope you enjoy your barbecues and your beer uh, all week. I uh, hope it's been fun. But let's get into this podcast. So have you seen the trailer for The Foreigner yet, Jack? You know, you're a foreigner, I, technically. It, yeah, I know I another it. foreigner, and his name's Jackie Chan. <laughs> yeah, great uh, the segue. Segways, segues are popping today, dude. <laughs> did, you, did you know I know Jackie Chan, actually, because we're both foreigners? I Yeah, I know him. <laughs> Oh, all Asians know each other, and also all Asians just know karate. We just oh, come yeah. out the womb yeah. knowing karate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Jackie Chan's got a new film coming out, The Foreigner, and it's looking really cool, actually. That's I mean, awesome I think movie. so. Yeah. Um, the trailer's out right now. If you haven't seen it yet, I'd recommend seeing it if you're someone who you know likes watching trailers and doesn't mind being spoiled a little bit. Um, but it's very different, I think, from a lot of Jackie Chan's previous work. You know, he um, he usually does a lot of comedy action, you know, like usually they're action films. But then like the set pieces are usually like some kind of funny thing going on. You know, like maybe someone's mm-hmm. swinging a sword down like right on his balls and he backs up a little bit. That kind of stuff. The kind of slapstick humor. Yeah, I yeah. love it. It's just like a fresh take. He's you know, he's taking the genre that Bruce Lee, you know, just kind of blew up to Western audiences and really puts his own spin, his own signature on it. I mean. And the lack of CGI and the lack of wires and the lack of a safety net is kind of his hallmark, right? Like yeah. he's kind of the evil Knievel of of Kung Fu. Right. And he uh, makes a point to do all of his stunts himself. You know, he doesn't hire a stuntman to do the Jackie Chan stunts. He does it all himself. Yeah. he um, Yeah. He does the stunts and all the guys that he's kind of whooping up on. They're all part of the same team, you know, and they, they kind of work together and collaborate on all the scenes. And it just makes for some of my fondest uh cinema memories period despite any genre yeah and um the foreigner though is a little bit different you know in terms of um its tone you know like his previous like you know you watch rush hour and you're not sitting there thinking i can't wait for this serious dramatic story you know you're kind of just you're there for the the jokes the silly the silly jokes between um jackie chan and uh tucker um and oh man the foreigner though it's so it seems dark yeah it's kind of his uh version of taken yeah. Right? Where you wouldn't expect Liam Neeson to be just so badass. And you wouldn't expect Jackie Chan to be, you know, like a badass, like serious kind of drama effort, you know, like tell me, you know, spoilers for the trailer, but, you know, his uh, family member of his, uh, something bad happens to him and it's all basically about revenge. So it's yeah. kind of a, re- a big revenge film uh, directed by Martin Campbell coming out uh, September 30th in China and then October 13th here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just I was looking at uh, some facts about the foreigner and just random fact. It's based on a book by Stephen Leather, and the name <laughs> of the book is The Chinaman. Oh, <laughs> not the preferred nomenclature. Dude. Yeah, I think it's a good idea for them to have rebranded <laughs> the movie a little bit. Yeah, don't don't go around saying that. Just don't. Just yeah. life life tips. No, but the foreigner. <laughs> um. I remember, like, when I was watching that trailer, I, I what I really liked, the scene that stands out to me most in that trailer was um, 
So you remember that scene where uh, Jackie Chan's character is like it, his gun runs out of ammo or something. So he kind of like hides in the corner between like the wall and the refrigerator. And yeah. those dudes run up to him and they like pull yeah. the gun around the corner and start shooting at where he's at. But instead he's like clung to the ceiling of that right. corner and then no, it kicks him. Cool part. Yeah. It's a cool part trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cool part. And what I like the most about that part is that, it still felt very serious, but it was still that little hint of like Jackie Chan kind of playing with you. And, you know, it's like it's a kind right. of a playful fight almost, even though you right. want the good guy to win. Yeah. And I have no doubt he actually can do that. The man can do incredible feats. You know, if you've never seen Jackie Chan movie, like there's a reason why he's a celebrated uh, international movie star. You know, he's been doing this for decades, ever since he was, you know, a teenager. He's been doing these kinds of movies and and these actual real stunts. So, if you've never seen a Jackie Chan movie, like get on Netflix. Um, one thing I do want to, I don't want to brush over too much, is the director is Martin Campbell, and he. Uh, one thing that really gets me excited is that Martin Campbell is the director. If you know that, actually, is responsible for rebooting the uh, 007 movies and he did it not once but he did it twice um with 007 pierce brosnan uh back in the 90s and uh pierce brosnan returns uh to act under martin campbell for this film the the foreigner in 2017 um but campbell also did one of my favorite movies ever not just a bond movie but a casino royale have you seen that Mm mm-hmm Oh, I love that movie. I was really surprised uh, at that. And, and people had talked it up or whatever. I was like, ah, James Bond isn't really so much. Movie. I was more kind of a Austin Powers man myself, but, <laughs> but, you know, as far as spy movies are concerned. But when I actually saw Casino Royale, it just surprised me. And I actually had to own it. I was like, this movie is incredible. Uh, uh, why is the name of the actor daniel craig uh, right yes daniel craig. yeah okay man that was just completely escaping my my uh mind there but yeah daniel craig was incredible as uh james bond in that role and and mark Campbell, i just think handled it beautifully the cinematography also a standout you know i mean poor one out for uh chris cornell but his um who passed away obviously uh mm-hmm. recently this year but uh, I think back to that song he did as well. The uh, the song for Casino Royale. I love that song. Yeah. It's not typically a uh, you know Soundgarden sound. It has more full blown orchestra. But I thought it was a great song, and I listened to it many times after I saw the film. So you know, just just the way that whole project came together was just so successful. I mean, we wouldn't have all these Bond films now if that one wasn't so good, right? And it's really it it kind of gives this film high hopes. I think you know um totally yeah because casino royale was really really good you know i was never really big into the bond films like even the older ones uh but i remember watching casino royale and thinking like man this is this is really really good yeah you know um so i'm yeah. hoping the foreigner kind of does something you know it's just as good if not yeah. hopefully better but who knows yeah uh, I, I am very excited just again because of the cast because uh is who's who's behind this i have high hopes for you know, a, a surprise. I'd like to see Jackie Chan, you know, kind of flex his dramatic muscles here. Yeah. Um, you know, on top of just jumping over cars, going a hundred miles an hour and, and whatever mu- else might happen. And again, like Pierce Brosnan, I think is an interesting uh, choice for this film, but to see them um, side by side, it is going to be interesting. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Jim Carrey, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all about the fate, the funny faces and the funny lines and the, Oh yeah. Sticks. I used to watch him on in living color back, back in the day yeah um but you know he's most known for those movies like the mask and you know like liar liar bruce almighty um but have you ever seen his film eternal sunshine of a spotless mind yeah that movie is yeah it's so crazy i i remember I, I like that movie 
yeah, I remember looking at it and thinking, is that really, is that Jim Carrey? Is this real? Like, is this actually him? You right. know, because it's, it's so different from a lot of his previous roles. You know, like Truman's show was a little bit different, but he still kind of had that, you know, like sense of humor about him. But Eternal Sunshine was very serious throughout. And yeah. I feel like this is kind of Jackie Chan's Eternal Sunshine, you know, where it's like he's he's been this humorous action hero for a long time now. And now he's playing this very serious, almost like kind of sadistic in a way character. Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, he's very driven, right? He's very Mm -hmm. driven to his ends and he, you know, he has a, uh, a checkered past. It seems like, you know, there's something, there's more behind him than just, you know, a a guy out for revenge. Right. Um, But so I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited. You know, I, I didn't think in 2017, I'd be excited for a Jackie Chan movie, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, next thing that would get me excited is Rush Hour 4, but <laughs> who knows if that'll ever happen. Um, yeah, who, yeah, who knows? Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about a game I've been playing a lot for the past few days that I did not expect I'd be playing as much of. Let's talk about video games. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so I've been playing a lot of Game Dev Tycoon, which is a little All bit meta. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a tycoon game. Uh, if you haven't played any of those, you know, it's basically like kind of business management kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this one, you're instead managing a game developer. You start, you know, as like a dude in the garage in um, early 90s, you know, just like one guy, you know, making games for like um, what they do is they have like joke names for the console. So instead of like the NES, it's like the TES like the but you know what it is it's like tongue yeah. in cheek yeah yeah um or like the playstations the play system so on <laughs> yeah um and yeah so you start off in like only developing games for the pc or the commodore 64 um, oh it goes all the way back there yeah it does and That's then cool. um you know you hear on like uh, this company nintendo is about to release a new console a home console that a lot of people are gonna like uh and you know kind of goes on from there it follows gaming history up to the uh i believe the ps3 360 generation cool um i did add a mod to it that extended the lifespan to the ps4 and xbox one generation uh, which is kind of funny cool. so that was made by the community then yeah that's um, cool so that's a community mod um but all the game is is you saying okay I'm, i want to make like you choose your topic so like i want to make a sci-fi game uh, and then you choose your genre so like it's a sci-fi action game and I'm going to call it like space butts and yeah. you know, I'll gear it towards like, you know, the young audience and it'll be on the Nintendo DS. Uh, and then you have a bunch of sliders on like, so what's more important here, gameplay or story or, you know, what's more mm. important, a good engine or better AI, you know, that kind of stuff. So you kind of tweak it based on uh, what you think is best for that genre uh, choice, Okay, you know, like for a good action game, you know, maybe like if it's a platformer, AI isn't as important as level design or something like that, you know? Uh So you have to have a good working knowledge of different kinds of video games that you want to make. And it's all about making money so you can get a bigger office, hire more people to work for you. And then you can hopefully by the end of it, start making like really big games and make a name for yourself in the gaming industry. So what's the feedback that you get, like based on the decisions you make, right? Like if you're deciding all these sliders, is it like how much the game sells? Is it like the reviews? Yeah. So, once you release a game, you get um, review scores back. There are like four review scores that come by, then they average them together to give like your game that base review score. Um, and then uh, you see how many sales the game makes after the reviews come in. Hmm. Now, partway through the game, there's a there's a um, mechanic called hype. 
So, you know, yeah. you can you can hype a game up a lot. You know, you go to E3 every year. And, oh, you know, you interesting. Get a big booth and then you have a lot of hype. So maybe if your game isn't good, like if all the reviewers give it bad scores, but you still hype it up like a lot, you're still <laughs> probably going to make some sales. But, you know, maybe oh. you'll feel a little sleazy about it because mirroring real life. Yeah. A little too closely. <laughs> a little too close. So if I was modding this game, I would make a mod where you don't have to give anything to the media to review. You just, and you just hit the YouTube button and then just get automatic 100s. <laughs> I don't oh. I don't remember seeing a mod like that. It's still very like, you know, old school uh video game media stuff. Um it's influencer mod <laughs> installed. Yeah, we we have a creator cave at E3 this year. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, um I think like what was really fun about the game, I didn't play it alone. I played it with my roommates. Like we all sat down in the living room, I used the Steam link to uh, play the game downstairs with them. Mm-hmm. And what made it really fun was just bouncing ideas off each other and, you know, kind of joking around about it. And I think the game provides a really good, you know, platform for that to happen. And, you know, so you grab a couple beers with your friends and you just sit around and pretend to be mm-hmm. game developers for a night. Um, so what we ended up doing is we, <laughs> we named our company Ubersoft. Yeah. Which cool. we later found out that in the game, publishers can give you like a publishing deal. Like if you make this game for us, we'll give you X mm-hmm. like royalties. And Ubersoft wow, this game goes deep. It does. And Ubersoft is like their joke name for Ubisoft. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But you thought it before that, before you even knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny. And then we had like all kinds of franchises. Like we had Diddly. Like he was our Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask like, you. So, I mean, gosh, the possibilities of this game seem endless. Like, are there any is there any kind of like structure to like what genre games you make or is it really just fill in the blank like is, let your mind uh, run wild or yeah you kind of fill in the blank um like there are limitations um so you have the genres and there are only i think six genres in the game there's like action adventure rpg simulation strategy and casual mm, okay you know and Filthy obviously casuals <laughs> yeah but that obviously doesn't like those six words do not cover the multitude of games we have today. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so there's definitely a lot of you filling in your own blanks. So like to make a platformer, what we did is we chose a topic of like platform and then the genre like action, mm-hmm. you know? So in our heads, that was a platformer that may not have translated as well to the game's engine, but this game's all about having your own kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, and man, it goes deeper than, like now that I'm thinking about it, because, you know, they have um, you can create sequels, like direct cool. sequels to games. And then the game, like the game dev tycoon actually uh, like analyzes it based on it being a sequel, you know, so it like factors in how good the first game was to like generate the hype for the second game and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you make a sequel to a bad game, it may not sell as well because that first game was such a flop. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. So is there any kind of like demographic, like, like insights into your audience? Like, what are they looking for? Were they anticipating? How old are they? Anything like that? No. I mean, so you can target your game to like young, everyone or mature audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And every now and then there's like a window that pops up saying there's like a marketing trend toward like right now, uh, strategy games are really popular. So if you make a strategy Mm -hmm. game, it'll get a boost on how much it sells just because strategy games are hip. Because you're catching the wave. Right. Um, but that's about as far as it goes in terms of, you know, making a game for your audience directly. Can you uh, put DRM in your game? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can create Steam. You can create like a like a digital, site? Yeah, you can create a digital distribution platform. They call it Grid, but yeah, it's Interesting. Steam. It's basically wow. Steam. 
Dude, this game's crazy. Is it? And I'm assuming it's on Steam now. Is it all PC only? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I think there's a phone version of it now as well. Um, but it definitely started on PC. Do you know how much it is? Oh, uh, no, I don't. I think maybe it's like less than $10 for sure. Oh, okay. It's not like a full I price mean, kind of thing. I don't imagine. Yeah. What, uh, do you know when it came out? Um, it came out a couple years ago. Cause I remember kickstarting it or not kickstarting it, but like hearing about this game that was, um, being made by green heart games and they were saying, Hey, like try out this free, like beta demo version. Like it was, you know, back before the game was fully a game. Yeah. Right. Like they were kind of marketing and being like, Hey, try this game out and see if you like it, then maybe support us. Um, so I didn't like kickstart them or anything. I don't think they did a Kickstarter, but I thought, mm-hmm. Hey, this game's cool. I'll buy it. Um, I think it was like 20, I want to say 2013. Okay. When the yeah, game have of- you ever, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Have you ever heard a game dev story? No, man. That is basically the iOS version of this. I want to say, and it came out like right around 2010, 2011, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it sounds very similar to this. Like you can go to E3 and stuff and you start and, uh, uh you know, your own game developer and you work on like really just ridiculous. Like I remember I made a, uh, baseball RPG, or mm. like a cab driving simulator, like really like eccentric, you know, genres that don't actually exist or maybe would be cool if they did exist. But part of the fun also was like interviewing like employees and hiring them and deciding, you know, what their strengths were. And, and your game was kind of based on the strengths of your team. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what, you know, kind of determined the success or the failure of the game and, and what the game excelled at. Right. Like if you had a really good composer on your team, then the music was like 10 out of 10. You know, if you had a really good um, technical um, artist, then your graphics were like blown out, you know, your graphical right. rating, et cetera. So and you could never have a perfect game that had just 10 out of 10 of everything. You had to kind of mix and match and decide where you really wanted to um, invest your resources. So I remember really fond memories of that game. Uh, you talking about this now makes me want to kind of go back into game dev story. Um, but yeah, I mean, this game sounds kind of like the natural progression. I, I'm definitely going to kind of look it up and, and at least watch some video on it. Are there any yeah. Twitch streamers playing this game? I doubt it. Is there um, is there an analog to Twitch in this game? Like in uh, the game? Is no, there like you there, know, there isn't even an analog to YouTube? I don't think. These are ideas for the sequel. It could be Game Dev Tycoon Two. I want to make that that a uh, Creator Cave mod <laughs> just to get perfect tens. <laughs> yeah. Every time, no matter how crappy the game is. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a oh, great platform. It'd be a great, great platform for um lots of jokes during real life. You know, like take YouTubers' names and joke about them. <laughs> Duty pie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be so funny. Oh, that'd be really funny. Actually, yeah, this might be a thing. <laughs> we uh, hopefully we're inspiring some programmer with the know how to make this. So, oh, that'd be yeah, wonderful. man, that sounds cool. Like a cool game. That's uh, that's Game Dev Tycoon on PC. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming probably Mac. Yeah, um, it is 10 bucks on Steam right now, uh, so grab it if it interests you. Definitely better with friends, I think. Just couch like couch co-op kind of a deal. Sit around, play it. It's a lot of fun. Cool. cool. Uh, so what about you, Jack? What have you been playing? It's so hard sometimes, Robert. It's so <laughs> hard to get away from a Blizzard game when you're just neck deep into it. Yeah, I, this has happened with I've just lost control with World of Warcraft back in the day. I've absolutely lost control. I'm probably four or five hundred hours into Diablo three. And it's happening again with Overwatch. Like I've mm. ever since we started this podcast, I've kind of re fallen in love with this game. I, I think you have mentioned it every week. <laughs> I know. And I analyze it when I'm not playing it. I'm thinking about it. I'm actually 
really heavy into competitive mode now, which why did I wait till season five to start? You I know, mean, and everyone and jumps all, in. Everyone has to jump in sometimes. Is, is, yeah, it's for, what is it? It's bragging rights. Who cares? It's about testing your skill. But for a lot of people, and for me, the carrot on the stick is kind of getting that sweet, sweet gold gun at the end. But like then again, like what is this all for? What am I doing with my life? But I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Overwatch is that good. It's really good. I mean, how many Game of the Year awards did it get last year? And, you uh, know, I, I when I moved across country, I didn't play for a very long time. I mean, you know, you probably saw, you know, that I wasn't on for months mm-hmm. at a time. And now all of a sudden it's just kind of kicked back in. So I understand there's a new character they're, they're, they're teasing now. Is that right? Yeah, Doom Fist. He's finally here. Well, maybe. Most likely. Um, so Doom Fist, he's... Uh, He's kind of been mentioned, I think, even before Overwatch came out. I don't know if you remember this, but there was that one um, like cinematic they released where it was like Tracer and Winston fighting Reaper and Widow in like a museum. Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Was this like the announcement trailer? Yeah, something like that. It was definitely okay. before the game was released. Um, and in that museum, you'd see the Doomfist and that kid like picked up the Doomfist, you know, and like used it. Wait, wait, wait. Um, is the Doom Fist a dude or is the Doom uh, Fist a fist? Right. Okay. So the Doom Fist is a gauntlet, right? And then oh. whoever wears it, like people just colloquially call it, oh, like that's Doom Fist. You know, like so that. who he who wears the Doom Fist is forever known as Doom Fist. Right. And so far in the lore, people have uh, believed that there are three different Doom Fists. There was the first one. Um, I think his name was like the Scourge. Okay. And then the second one was the Savior. Or maybe I might. Be I think it's reverse. Actually, I think it was the savior and then the scourge. scourge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the first two's identities were confirmed. Like when you see posters of them, you actually see their their features in the, thir- the maps. Like they're kind of hiding in the background when you're playing the game. You have to kind of hunt for this information. Yeah. It's not all laid out for you, right? Uh, but the third one in that in those posters, he's always blacked out. Like all you see is the Doomfist gauntlet, like colored, and you know you see mm-hmm. it. But the rest of that man is silhouetted. So, you know, you can't okay. really tell who or what they are building um, the mystery. Yeah. So what Blizzard released a couple days. Well, actually, I think it was two days ago. Uh, they released like an article, like a fake, like in in the Overwatch universe news story um, about how Talon, who's made up of Reaper, Sombra and Widowmaker, broke into Helix, like Helix, like a really high security prison. And mm-hmm. broke Doomfist out of it. Okay. So now Doomfist is on the loose. Uh, so he's obviously going to be coming. Maybe. Th- I mean, I would assume this year if they're teasing it, I'd assume he's a new character probably this year, probably this fall. Yeah. I mean, people are speculating that he might drop um, this month, actually. Oh, that soon? Yeah. Because uh, cool. uh, what last month was, um, it was like the, the, event, anniversary. the anniversary event, right? Oh, so it might be the new event. Well, next month is going to be the spread of the summer games. Okay. So people are speculating like during this down month, they'll release Doomfist as a new hero. Interesting. So is is it also, is that his hand in the point that you escort? Yeah. In Numbani. Is that his hand? That yeah. is. But I don't know if you noticed, but after the Orisa update, you know, the last hero, like you remember how um, Numbani now on the attack base, like you see those OR-15s like smashed into the yeah, wall and stuff. That, like that wasn't was, there before. Now it is. Yeah, yeah. That was Doomfist who did that. I don't know if you noticed oh. as well, but on the payload, the gauntlet is gone. 
Oh, the gauntlet really? isn't there anymore. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't even paid that much attention to it. But wow, I'm definitely gonna look for it. That's crazy. Okay, cool. So that's just another cool way of storytelling in a multiplayer only game. Like, how do they manage? How does Blizzard manage to do that? You know, like build anticipation, build lore in a game where you literally are not playing out any kind of cohesive story yeah. as you're actually playing the game, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of brings you back to the Sombra ARG. I don't know if you were following that when Sombra was being like teased a lot, but there was a lot of, you know, like uh, when you watch new trailers uh, and stuff like that, there are like little glitches hidden in the video where if you like freeze that frame and then you analyze that glitch, it gives you a hint toward like when Sombra might be coming out. They did stuff like that, you know, leading up to Sombra, which was really, you know, thematic as well, because Sombra is like the hacker, you know, like she's all about glitches in the system and stuff. I didn't know she was a bad guy until you just said that. Oh, well, there Today you go. Either. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, her, her motivations are a little bit muddled, you know, because like, sure, she's a bad guy because um, she works with Reaper and Widow, but like she does things for her. Like you can tell she has her own motivations as well. And mm-hmm. it's hard to tell if her motivations are in line with Reaper and Widow's or if she's just using them for some higher purpose. Okay. Mm. You think about this a lot. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not a lot, but, you know, I'm just stickler for, for story. I hear you. And like I said, it's just more impressive that p- they can get people to care about the story in a multiplayer only game mm-hmm. that, you know, that many speculate had a large single player component or, uh, you know, a kind of PVE component that has since been cut right you know, from whatever Titan was. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm glad like Overwatch is, is as successful as it is, and now mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point where it's like the reverse, where people are asking the Overwatch team to make some kind of single player like yeah. campaign. Which I mean, it's it's one thing to ask for it, but it's another thing to actually develop something like that because they'd basically be developing yeah. a whole new game. I want to see an animated movie by the same team that does animated shorts. I want to see a full length feature, and that takes a lot of courage for me to publicly state after World of Warcraft came out. And ended up how it was like, <laughs> yeah, who in their right mind would, you know, ask for, you know, a game by Blizzard again to be made into a movie after what happened with World of Warcraft's film. Well, I think the difference there, though, right, is that correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't follow WoW that much, but WoW hasn't really been the, the kind of game where they'd release little shorts about their heroes and their story. Right. The cinematics in WoW, just like every other Blizzard game, though, has been like industry leading by far you know and and that's the thing i don't want a oh please no i don't want a live action adaptation of overwatch (laughs) nobody asked for that nobody wants that no i'd rather have an overwatch anime than that brian singer on it probably be like a terrible version of like one of the x-men movies like the bad ones (laughs) yeah oh that would be so terrible now i think about it oh but no i i want to see like again the same the internal blizzard team because i think those animated shorts are so awesome I yeah. love the Hanzo Genji one. I love that one. Mm-hmm. I love the, uh, uh, I really like the Bastion one. And you and you have to think like they're probably going to, you know, at the end of the day when it's all said and done, they're probably going to have one for every character, I would hope. Yeah, hopefully. You know, kind of, yeah, to cover cover the whole roster. What? So let's get back to Doomfist real quick. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think he's going to do? What do you think he's going to be? Like, how so, do you think he's going to play? So I really hope that he's a tank and obviously he's going to use his doom fist like there's there's no way that you can't be called that. doom fist yeah and like not use that fist <laughs> yeah um so you i really one good hope, fist man i really hope he's another melee based character because the only melee based character in our game right now is reinhardt yeah. and half of genji yeah. when he when he ults mm-hmm. um 
but we don't have any other character that their whole mo is to run up to you and slap you around um and i'd really like to see more of that because i think it adds some very interesting like new kind of play Mm -hmm. in overwatch and i'd like to think maybe he's like a highly mobile tank so imagine like winston but instead of a zappy gun he punches punches your face off he has like karate moves or some you know some kind of cool melee attacks you know throws throws them bows or something on top Mm -hmm. of his fist yeah like that to me would be really cool i think because it'll it'll definitely diversify the meta and it'd actually be perfect too because the meta right now is like very dive comp based right that's all i see i almost never see any shield comp right and because of that like winston is kind of the main tank all the time so i'd love for them to release an alternative to winston because you kind of have diva but she plays her own role in that she can also like eat people's like projectiles and whatever yeah but i'd love to see another character where all he is about is just like going as hard as possible just dive deep into the enemy team and do could whatever cool. you can could yeah. be cool no I, I it could make for some very interesting plays you know and some highlights so i i hope it comes out i mean there was rumors that terry cruz is going to be the <laughs> uh voice for Doomfist. i really hope that comes true i'd love that uh, that would be so awesome. There's just there's just too much information out there that's kind of leading people to to go down that road. But we'll, we'll see. Blizzard's pretty good at keeping a secret, and mm-hmm. and and leaks don't come out very often from Blizzard land. Yeah, and sometimes you even feel like the leaks are directly from Blizzard. You know, like Blizzard wanted those leaks to happen. To exactly. Build hype. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, that I'm looking forward to it. I mean, hopefully you're right and it comes out this month. That'd be so cool. Right. Um. So while we're talking about Overwatch, I kind of want to talk about another game I've been playing that I'm pretty sure everyone's going to compare to Overwatch in one way or another. Okay. And that's uh, Clifford Blazinski's Lawbreakers. Clifford B. I had to say it. Sorry. Clifford B. Clifford B. All right. Lawbreakers. Talk about it. Lawbreakers. So um, they had an open beta on probably the worst week ever during the Steam Summer Sale. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And it, it actually ended the same day the Steam Summer Sale. It was just... It was bad. It was bad Ill choice overall. Advised. Yes. Um, but no, it's uh, arena shooter, 5v5. Uh, it's all about high, high skill ceiling. You know, it's... So, let me ask you real quick. It's on PC yeah. only right now. PC open beta. and... Yeah, well, the open beta is over now. But right, the open okay. beta was only on PC. They're doing a closed beta currently on the PS4. Oh, okay. And Lawbreaker should drop on both of them on August 8th. Xbox One? Nope, no Xbox One. Oh, PS4 exclusive, at least timed exclusive. Probably. Yeah, so PS4 and Windows 10 for now. Interesting. Yeah, so that skill ceiling, talk about that. Yeah, so um, out of all my friends that I've told to play Lawbreakers, Jack included, I think I'm the only person that uh, has more than an hour logged into the game. <laughs> um, I'm sitting at seven hours, or I was sitting at seven hours for the beta until it was over. And um, I don't know. I can't... I. I was you trying to think. it every day. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't played it wow. for the past two or three days, but okay. I keep trying to think. Cause I remember Jack, when you and I played it, you mm-hmm. were like, okay, you got to sell me this game, Robert. I'm not getting it. And yeah, it, it's so, okay. If you told me, you know, Hey, we're releasing a game. It's a throwback to kind of the 90s shooters. I feel like, you know, on paper, I'd be all on board, but then in practice, like you said, I just felt like totally inept. I was like, I don't know how to use a mouse and keyboard anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm looking at. It was just so insane. I mean, I'll let you talk a little bit more before I start tearing it up. But yeah, I mean, because you're not the only one of my friends who that was like, what is it that you like so much about this game? And I, I still can't quite pinpoint what exactly it is. I mean, 
I'm enjoy. I was enjoying the idea of you know like, oh, I can get better at this. You know, it's like that grind to be competent in the game. Like I still feel incredibly accomplished when I get a double kill, which is like pretty minor in terms of you know like your achievements that you could do yeah. in any shooter. Yeah. Um, but I usually play the character the Wraith, who a lot of people hated from what I was gathering. But the Wraith was essentially um. It's like a, a very high mobility character that can shoot you with a submachine gun and then stab you with a knife, like a really powerful knife when they get up close. So another way this is compared to Overwatch is that it's kind of class based. Yes, there are, okay. um, there were eight classes during the beta and it looked like there was one more that maybe they're hiding for until uh-huh. the official release, maybe. Yeah. Um, and see, okay, so what's tough is I want to say this off the bat is that I think comparing it to Overwatch is a little it has to come with caveats because they're not too comparable i think like they're both class-based shooters but overwatch is at such a different pace and it's such a different game i think like you know the alt economy Mm -hmm. is a big thing in overwatch whereas the alt economy i feel like in lawbreakers isn't as big a deal it feels like in lawbreakers you can definitely carry your team a lot more than in overwatch Mm-hmm. So interesting. It's, well, it's, yeah, because everyone sucks at it. So if you get right. one guy that's good, he's going to carry the team. <laughs> right. So it's. I think it's tough to compare them. And it might just also be because I had limited time with the game with Lawbreakers to be able to finalize a good opinion on it. But oh, man, it, it's so it, OK. It, it's so 90s. It's so retro. Even the music like <laughs> and it's an independently developed game, is it not? Boss Key Studio started by yeah. Cliffy B. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, uh, I mean, they're doing kind of what you would expect Cliffy if Cliffy B said, "Hey, I'm doing another shooter. I'm the guy behind Unreal. I'm the guy behind you know Gears of War." This is kind of like, yeah, I can see that lineage in this. You know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of dripping with like '90s. You know, the thing about it that kind of rubs me the wrong way is just how so damn serious the game takes itself. <laughs> like it's so it's so hilarious to me. But it's but it's not in on the joke. It's not yeah. in on its own '90s throwback. It's taking it serious. Like, oh, mm. it's just ew. It's like it's like listening to the first Corn album again, kind of <laughs> oh, for <God>. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's exactly like that. Like, oh, these guys think this is cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there was a time where it was cool. You know, uh, it, it is so hard. It, it, it's doing some really interesting things, though. I mean, with mm-hmm. the Kind of, uh, the, I think the reason why it's called Lawbreakers, I'm just speculating, is probably because you're breaking the laws of gravity, is kind of why I thought it was called Lawbreakers. Because there's like this kind of like black hole mechanic or anti gravity field mechanic where you can uh, kind of propel yourself. You know, you basically have like uh, spaceship controls for these designated areas. And then one really cool thing is that I think if you hit control, you can shoot backwards. And it made me think like, wow, why did it take so long for, for uh, first person shooters to do this? Why, why hasn't anyone thought of this before? There are some really cool ideas there. It's the execution that I'm wondering about. I, I remember uh, this game. Oh man. I can't remember exactly how long it was maybe five, six years ago called Brink. Do you remember I remember Brink? that game. I remember it's just, that game. It had a great vision, had a great art style, had a lot of things going for it. There were a and lot of people flopped. on that dev team. Yeah, there were a lot of people on that dev team that did their job and did it well. But when it came down to controller in hand, how does the game feel? That's where it failed. And this is kind of, um, I'm getting deja vu a little bit um, with this. Like, there's a lot of good ideas here. It's just maybe the execution. I mean, it flies in the face, right? It's so hard to be good. It's so hard to live longer than 30 seconds for me that it's just, 
it takes a lot of gall, I think, in this post-Overwatch world to make a game that is so for elite PC, you know, like the people that care about their DPS on their mouse, that care about what kind of mouse pad they use. Like, I feel like this is like, you know, upper echelon kind of multiplayer shooters compared to anything else I can think of. Overwatch, not just that, but also, um, you know, Team Fortress 2, I think you could compare. Uh, but even even as far as Battlefield um, and, and, and uh, Battlefront as well, like, you know, the, these all these games have kind of adopted the more let's have a wider let's have a more accessible experience a wider audience let's make some money with this game whereas lawbreak is like no forget that like you you come leet you know or you don't come at all <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know when i look at the game i think it has its audience but what i'd be worried about is um this is the same audience that's like really into like quake for example right like yep. quake is a very high skill ceiling shooter as well mm-hmm. um the trouble is Quake Champions is also coming out this year. If I remember right, maybe like a September release date or something. Okay. But it's, it's definitely in beta right now. You can easily play the beta right now, too. Like, I've got a beta key. It's pretty easy to get. Um, so, not only is it competing with um, the the market share that Overwatch has, right? Because, like, Overwatch is like kind of the shooter to play right now, oh, I think. a million percent. Yeah. Um but not only is it compare uh, trying to compete with that, but it's also competing with another shooter that kind of fills the same ilk that Lawbreakers is trying to fill, mm-hmm. and it's a very you know storied one of Quake. You know, like people know what Quake is, even if you've never played it. People have heard the word Quake, yeah, and they associate it with some kind of online you know oh, yeah. high paced shooter. Uh, so Lawbreakers is competing with essentially a industry legend. And a legend in the making in the name of Overwatch, I think. Right, right. And it's it's tough to, like, I don't want to have to say this, but it's tough to see Lawbreakers being wildly successful. I think it'll have its own niche. It'll have its community for sure. But I don't see it, you know, like, taking yeah. over Twitch streams, you know, having huge YouTube videos about it. It'll be hot. It'll be one of those games that just fall into that hole, I feel. I, I, I'm sorry to say, but, like, they're kind of there for two weeks and then, <clears throat> you know, nothing. And yeah. then you could, what is it now? $30, $40, $30. Cliffy B said that it's not going to be any higher. Oh, they're not going to release like ultra versions, gold versions and all this with different features I, or unlocks or, I mean, that hasn't been confirmed nor denied, but so far uh, the base game is set at $30 flat. Okay. Well, they have loot boxes, right? So they're yes. going to be selling you loot boxes. You better believe. I just think, you know, I mean, Hey, best of luck to them the game's not for me i hope it does find an audience i hope it's successful for them because i i do encourage indie developers to do to do new things and break new ground this game is trying to you know kind of stand out with its own identity and like i said there are cool things it does um but it really made me think like it made me analyze like why am i not enjoying this why am i constantly being um gravitated toward no pun intended (laughs) why am i constantly like being pulling into overwatch and i was thinking about this man i was just like whenever i just have free time i'll I'll analyze like what is it about this game that's making it so awesome and when we go back to overwatch i never really considered after all the dozens and dozens of hours i've played like you really take for granted how well overwatch communicates information to you how efficiently it does it I mean, if you th- if you really think about it, like it they that game and that developer pays all their attention to the individual, to your experience playing that game. It has no- it doesn't care at all about the 
other people, you know, from your perception, the other people are just periphery. It's all about your special experience as you're playing it. And everyone's having their own special, unique experience with every game. So let me illustrate what I mean. Your team is always blue. The other team is always red. And that's mm-hmm. your experience. But also the other team, they're having the same experience. Their team is always blue in their eyes. And the other team is always red. Right? It's not like, oh, I'm team red, I'm team blue now. You're always just team blue. And you're always against team red. And it's very efficiently communicated to you. Also, when you pull up, uh, when the match is about to start and you pull up the, you know, the roster of all the people that are in it. Again, you are always at the center of the experience. Your character is always in the bottom left corner. And everyone else's character is lined up. So you see a unique screen, whereas everyone else is seeing the same thing. They themselves are in that bottom left corner and everyone else is kind of spread out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is a very deliberate design to make it easy to communicate information again. And I mean, that it's just it's just so um, pervasive throughout everything. When you're losing um, health, when you're hitting, when you're making contact, when you're making kills, it also is a game that doesn't just grant you a kill for a last hit like call of duty or other games it actually grants you a kill if you do damage yeah so you know that yeah exactly so that's so that's you know a a kind of a uh an innovation in that space as well but i could go on and on about it but it just made me think like wow this really efficiently communicates so much information you as you play and you're not and it's kind of subconscious you don't even really think about it unless you stop and analyze it and that was something that was kind of missing in lawbreakers for me was Mm -hmm. that it just felt so cacophonous it felt like I was just running into the meat grinder over and over and over again. And I'm trying to learn the game, but at the same time, I'm trying just not to get decapitated. Basically there's some really cool ideas. There's like sliding and kicking and different, you know, um, mechanics based on whatever care, uh, class you're playing. And there will be a meta there. I just hope the game sticks around long enough for it to be fully fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, I'll say like, I felt that same thing about lawbreakers in my first hour or so with the game. Um, after you like you have to kind of keep beating your head to that wall to finally start to get things to click a little more mm-hmm. you know um so i've i've found myself kind of enjoying it more when i'm what a, like in the last few hours i was playing as a wraith like i felt you know i started being able to think of the game like more strategically you know thinking like oh that guy's a gunslinger i shouldn't run straight at him i should probably turn around take a right here and you know go around and try to flank you know what i mean like i start making those same tactical decisions that i've done in overwatch for like months now right mm-hmm. um so i think it takes some time to get used to what lawbreakers is giving you the trouble is it it the beta was tough because I don't think matchmaking was done well. Like they'd match you yeah. up on your very first game with people who've been playing it for a while. Right. And it just felt really unfair. And like, you know, you'd end the game with like less than a hundred points in your score while everyone on the enemy team is like 4,000, 6,000 points. Yeah. I'm sure and, that's probably part of the, you know, the reason why I was dying so quickly for sure. Right. Um, and I think the trouble too with lawbreakers when you like when you're trying to break into the shooter space now is that Overwatch has a stranglehold on like they've got good characters, you know. Like if I feel like part of me feels like I can't forever retire from Overwatch because I disappoint like Reinhardt and I disappoint Diva. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I mean it's not a real feeling. Like, I know they're characters and they're fictional characters, <laughs> but it's the idea of like. Man, it's I'll never see that friend of mine again. I'll never see Lucio again. They have so much personality is what you're really trying to say. They're just Right. Whereas with Lawbreakers, here's the thing. They do have characters, right? Like each class, like there's the law side and the breaker side, like the blue and the red side basically. Mm-hmm. And each of the classes has a character that has personality kind of, 
but it felt very flat to me. Like, for example, one of the races, I, I couldn't tell you which side. I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. if it's the Law Wraith or the Breaker's Wraith, mm-hmm. which part of the problem probably mm-hmm. like every now and then when he gets a kill he's like hashtag you're dead bro oh i and forgot it, the dialogue yeah. is very cringy it is very I totally cringy. Forgot. it's not it, that's a thing it's not like oh we're saying funny things like to get a laugh i i didn't get that impression of it i like to think i have a decent sense of humor but i got it this like oh this game thinks this is cool yeah it's kind of like when you see vanilla ice's haircut for the first time it's just real like <laughs> oh somebody Somebody tell him somebody somebody tell him right but aside from that like when you hear that character say hashtag you're dead bro even though it's not the best writing you do get an idea of like <laughs> okay that's what this character is like right which is yeah. cool and all but like i don't care about i don't know your name i don't know your history i don't know yeah. anything about you no. whereas overwatch they did a class job like before the game even released they had a couple cinematics out and like you know how the characters acted in the cinematics gave you mm-hmm. an idea of like you know, for example, that one cinematic where um, it's uh, Tracer and Widow, and Widow's trying to kill that, like, super famous Omnic person. Yeah. And Tracer's trying to stop her. Like, in in that, like, what, five, six-minute cinematic, you get the sense, like, okay, yeah. Widow's very evil, and she's willing to do whatever she needs to do to get the job done. And Tracer, like, she seems like a real go-getter, but maybe she doesn't know what's the best thing to do all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you get these little hints about the characters. Which you come, Yeah, you come away feeling like you know them that much better. You know, they, again, efficiently communicate ideas, you know, to you subconsciously sometimes, you know, with uh, with dialogue, but also just with good character acting and good yeah. blocking and good cinematography. One thing, you know, not to, I mean, it's just no small feat, but boss key here with lawbreakers, let's not, you know, sell it short. They are trying to make a professional sport. This game will live and die on whether or not e- this becomes an e-sport, which is a term yeah. I hate kind of, but you know what I mean? Like it needs to be an e-sport or it's not going to have any legs. That's really what is going to determine it. So they're going full on for that. Um, I will be, I will say this after playing the game and just, being so terrible at it feeling like i don't even know how to play video games anymore i if i saw someone good at it i'd be like oh wow they are they have a lot of skill you know yeah and then then what Mm -hmm. (laughs) take my money i don't know if i'd buy the game (laughs) because of that but i'd be like oh they're good at that game i'm really not good at good for them you know like hey that guy can dunk a basketball he's tall yeah cool yeah he's tall he can do that yeah he's cool yeah i think for me i i don't think i'd buy it right now i wouldn't pay 30 bucks for it right now i'd maybe buy it on a sale like if it went down to 20 bucks or something Mm -hmm. i'd maybe pick it up but at the same time it's it's kind of hard to justify playing it because i feel like lawbreakers is one of those games where it has to be always in your rotation like you need to always be playing that game like if you go a day without playing that game you're gonna get worse you know it it feels like you're practicing you know yeah also just you know ten thousand hours is all it's gonna take to be a master at it so yeah you know, with all the hours in the day, it only take you like a little over five years. No big deal. Yeah. And I mean, because like when I like, again, this is me comparing it to Overwatch, but it's also like the shooter of the time. It's completely right? unavoidable. Yeah. It's um, a, I mean, it's a post Overwatch world in so yeah. many ways. Right. Um, much in the same way, like a new MOBA is going to be compared to League of Legends. Like there's no getting it. No matter what they do that's different, it's going to be compared yeah. to League of Legends because it's trying to take that same share of people. The MOBAs um, came and went like, you know, they all were developed they all were released they all failed except for dota and and league of legends you know so i don't think i think if anyone tried to even approach that genre now you're crazy yeah but what i think is it's like when i play overwatch i don't just play one character you know i have a huge slew like jack you you and i have played together you know i have a 
pretty big roster of characters I can play. Pretty yeah. much all the tanks and all the supports. Uh, yeah, it, people usually have about five or six characters that play a lot, but I don't know anyone that like plays all the characters well. That's, yeah. that's really cool about the game, though, I think. Right. But part of the game is the idea that if you're the last person to pick on your team, you'll probably have some hero in your rotation that can fit the role that the other five people on your team aren't fitting, right? Exactly. So, so it makes you feel more skilled in that you're versatile. You know, like maybe you couldn't lock in your soldier 76, but his skill set's pretty transferable to like McCree. So you can maybe pick up McCree instead. Whereas with Lawbreakers, I have maybe six hours logged into the Wraith. And I feel like if I picked another another class to play as, I would I would just lose everything. Yeah. I would just I'd be starting the game all over again. Yeah. You know, like there there are maybe a couple things you pick up, like maybe the mechanics of the zero gravity and stuff like that. But all the all the classes feel very different, which I guess is a good thing, right? Because you know, like each class is well defined. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a player, it's hard to say that you'll be able to play a ton of classes. You know, and like yeah. master a ton of classes at once. Right. Like, I feel like I'd want, like, if I bought the game and I were serious about playing it starting in August, I'd probably only play the Wraith for a while, for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. If I ever picked up that game again, I would pick one character and just stick with it and just get good at that. Because, like you said, man, that I think it takes a lot of gall, to, <laughs> honestly, to make a game this hard. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like now, again, in this post Overwatch world, like, they are making it difficult to get into this game, which is a risky business move. High risk, high reward, I think. Yeah. But I think we've been talking about Lawbreakers enough. Um, come August, we'll see how, how it does with the reviews. We'll see how what the critics officially think of it. Um, but let's move on to our next segment of the oh, show. Oh, shuck it ducky. I'm looking forward to this. I've been wanting to do kind of music on the podcast for ever since, man, back in on land days. Yeah. Back, you know, yesterday, I've been wanting to do this kind of thing. And Colin, sorry, we picked the week that you aren't here. <laughs> but, you know, if this if if people like this and they want us to do it again, like I'm all for it. Uh, I'll talk about it a little bit. So Robert and I were figuring out like, man, you know, two man show. What are we going to do to kind of keep it fresh? Keep it going. And I was like, hey, like, let's talk about let's bring some of our favorite video game music, you know, into it. And let's talk about it a little bit because that video game music, I just think, is so is such such a clutch part of our or a core part I mean, of our <laughs> pop culture. It's just and, and I don't think it gets enough really attention and and the composers and just the people in the games industry. I mean, I think. I just think need a little bit more attention put on them. So that's what I'm hoping to shed light on with this. So Robert and I, this week we picked two um, games, just or two uh, pieces of music from games that we think of fondly. Um, I don't really know what your criteria was, Robert. Maybe you can talk about it. But for me, I picked two games that when I think about the games, I think about the experience playing, it, I just get really like those warm fuzzies come back and I just, it just always makes me feel good. I mean, they say, right? Like music is the best way to kind of kickstart your memory, right? Music yeah. and like smell, right? Like aren't those mm-hmm. like the two things that like really like get vibrant memories to pop in your head again. So I always think back, you know, uh, to back in the day when I hear this, this music. So what was your criteria, Robert? Yeah, so my criteria, I was, I was thinking what song, when it plays, does it make me feel like, it was my first day playing that game again or you know like my first hour booting that game up and thinking like oh this is going to be one hell of a ride mm-hmm. um 
and usually those songs too they give me kind of like chills i can't i can't tell if it's maybe the song itself that gives me chills or like the memories they evoke that's giving me the chills but either way it's like a good sign right mm-hmm. um so yeah i just kind of picked two songs that i thought these are games that are definitely near and dear to my heart and like have been with me for a while okay and the these songs probably like maybe not necessarily epitomizes my experience with those games but it's like when i hear these songs i'm definitely like you know back back in that saddle like back playing that game again yeah and we're not just talking about them either like we're we're gonna play them do you want to go first or should i go first Uh, you can go ahead and go first it's your second okay yeah all right so man one of the best soundtracks in video games period is from last generation and it's it's from a near a game that was uh, released uh, in 2010, published by Square Enix, but developed by uh, Cavia. And the music was actually released on multiple albums, multiple remixes, multiple releases in Japan, actually charted nationally on, on their charts. And oh, really? The compo- yeah, the composer's name is, I'm going to mess up this name, but it's Keiichi Okabe, I think is how uh, you pronounce his name. And the name of the song is uh, Hills of Radiant Winds. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those songs that it just kind of infinitely loops forever and ever, and you never get sick of it. I remember when I was in college, I would play this in the background and study to it for literally hours, and just kept me focused and kept me feeling positive, and you know, just kept me up. And it's just so beautiful. They went so far as to hire a full time linguist to develop a foreign language that didn't exist to exist in in this world, in this game world, and they have a uh, singer. Uh, that actually did the vocals in this kind of made up new language uh emmy evans is the name of the of the female vocalist and and it's just beautiful it just comes together just so flawlessly and again one of the best pieces of video game music in my opinion ever composed but certainly of that generation one of the best soundtracks played near so like in what part of the game does this play like, it's kind of like the overworld um it's kind of like where you're going from it's kind of a semi-open world so it's kind of when you're traveling when you're doing a lot of your grinding a lot of your leveling up when you're going from place to place it's kind of like the uh the overworld music overall it's, it's kind of like a uh man near is such a unique game as well just the first one on ps3 it's an rpg but it's also got like shooter components to it just like near <laughs> automata like it's just such a fresh genre i mean it, it didn't do the numbers it needed to initially, but then as word got around and YouTube videos were made, it just started snowballing into and building this huge cult following, which is why, because it has such a rabid following and because the price of the game was skyrocketing over $100 to get it used um, you know, for a, game, for a game that recently came out. Like, that's pretty crazy yeah. uh, that that would happen. But because the fan base you know, really 
pretty much demanded it is why the sequel exists. Hmm. Okay, so um, would you say that? How do I put this? So, what's your favorite memory with that song? Is that like when you hear that song? What's the thing that kind of like comes to mind first about Nier? Ah, just the crazy art, desaturated art style. Really, just okay. just the way that they really went all in and creating a world again. You know, it's it's because there's this strange female voice in it. You don't understand what she's saying, and no one understands it because it's a made up language. It's just how and just the just the skill and artistry that is normally reserved for full length feature film movies. You know, to see that effort being put into a game again is is so awesome. Yeah, I mean, that kind of effort is like, it, even in movies, it doesn't happen that often, you know? Like, yeah. I can only maybe think of a handful of media, pieces of media that go as far as creating their own language and, you know, like to help bolster this idea of like a brave new world that no one's ever seen or been to yeah. or lived exactly. in. Exactly. And, yeah. and they have followed this up very well as well. Um, they have uh, the singer from that song, uh, Emmy Evans. She does vocals again for the Near Automata uh, soundtrack as well. Same nice. composer, same singer. So. It carries through. It's it's so awesome. Would you say the soundtrack for Automata lives up to near, or maybe falls a little oh, flat? Oh, it's hard, man. I, no, I wouldn't say it falls flat. I'd say it's it's just it's the next one, right? It's okay. the next one. Yeah. It, it's more it's more good stuff. I think they're both great. It's just near just came out of left field, came out of nowhere, and just really shook things up and moved the needle. Um, and near Automata definitely upheld the tradition. So I think it was a success in that regard, where it didn't diminish at all the legacy. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, so one song that come that came to my mind when I was thinking, like, man, what what's like a really memorable game track to me? And I think the first one that came to mind for me was Baba Yetu for Civilization ah, Four. I can't believe you said that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, <laughs> my fiance, yeah, was talks about that song all the time. She loves that song. Mm-hmm. No, and that she song... doesn't even she doesn't even know it from Civilization. She. She just like heard it because I think it was nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. So here's the thing. It's actually, I think maybe not the only anymore, but it was the very first video game, like a song made for a video game that was nominated for a Grammy. And won. Which I think, yeah. And won it, which I think is like, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a turning point. Well, not maybe a turning point, but it's like, it's a very significant milestone in the video game oh, yeah. music historic. Uh, world. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to hear that on the podcast now. I love that song. I bought Sam. that song when back when people bought music on iTunes. That was, that was a weird time, right? Like yeah. I actually paid money for that. I mean, it's a good song. If, if you're going to pay money for something, right? It's a good song. Mm-hmm. Um, no, composed by Christopher Tin for uh, Civilization Four, published by Fire or no, published by Two K, developed by Fire Axis. Um, now, so when I think of Baba Yetu, I think of because um, you know that you played Civilization Four, Jack. Yeah, I play it well. Uh, no comment. I've I've tried to play it multiple times. I, I need to get into. It. I know it's a great game, okay. but I haven't I haven't spent significant time in it. Okay, so it's the song that plays during the opening cinematic, you know, for Civilization Four when you first boot up the game, and it kind of greets you with this like you're creating your own world. You know, that's kind of that's kind of the sense I felt like because it the song you've heard it right. It's very it feels worldly. You know, it feels like the song of humanity it gives that kind of feeling to it. And I think it, it just evokes so many good memories of like hours of sitting at my desk playing civilization, like even five and six, you know, when I, when I think about playing those games, I still think of Baba Yetu because I don't think any Civ game has had as good a soundtrack or had as great of a song since civilization four. 
I was going to ask that game or that song doesn't carry over to the sequels. No. Civilization five and six had their own songs, which I mean, they were all right, but I mean, I couldn't tell you the names of them. Right. They like, weren't Grammy award winning. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to use that as like, that's the reason I like the song, <laughs> but yeah, I only like Grammy award winning yeah. songs. Like Robert <laughs> he sticks with the winners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I enjoyed that song a lot. I remember first hearing it and being like captured. Maybe I was maybe like on oh, middle school, I think, when I was first playing wow. Civilization Four. Wow, yeah, and so that song has been with me since. And what, uh, what language do you know? Is it Swahili? I think it's Swahili. Yeah, um, I remember I looked up the lyrics once, but I forget what uh, it all translates to. But I know it's something oh, about. Oh, I can tell what? you, it's it's a oh. prayer. Oh, it's okay. like our Father who art in heaven. It's that oh, prayer. Yeah. That's right. That's that. right. Baba mm-hmm. Yetu, isn't that like our father or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just it's a great song. And if um do you know about video games live? Oh, so that's that symphony touring show yeah. that has like live video game music recreated with a big screen behind it with the game being played, right? Right. Um they do a version of Baba Yetu that's pretty grand. Um I'd really recommend looking that up if you're interested in really good covers of this song cool mm-hmm. awesome yeah so uh what about you jack what's your other very memorable oh man i get again warm fuzzies when i think about these songs i i just remember you know being curled up in the midwestern winters and having the super nintendo next to the big blocky fuzzy tv the crt tv and uh playing uh, super mario world 2 yoshi's island um, which is Ooh. a contentious game, as I understand. You know, it gets some it gets some shade thrown its way, but I have to be honest. I think the game is great. I can understand what the criticisms people have from it. Little baby Mario crying is probably the single greatest influence for me not to have children ever <laughs> with that game. <laughs> but again, it is a game that gave us the great the great music that we're listening to now. And uh, I think the name of the track is uh, Flower Garden, and it's just such a memorable memorable piece and technically very impressive you have to remember this game came out in 1995 on a cartridge this is before cds were ever a thing for nintendo and they simulate a harmonica noise yeah and it's just such happy happy like gardening music i can't really describe it's just got it sounds like accordions it sounds like guitars there's a cool drum beat going to it you know it's using uh, i know the game had the super effects chip in it to get the graphical um, effects that it had, but you know, it's using just new technology, new sounds, a very technically impressive track. Again, if you kind of transport yourself back to 1995 and realize, you know, what music sounded like on Super Nintendo, this game was uh, composed by I can't even like this man is just a legend in music, Koji Kondo. Mm-hmm. He did. I mean, I'm looking at the list in front of me right now, dude. Almost every great Nintendo soundtrack you could even uh, consider. So Punch-Out, he did um, Kung Fu, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Brothers 2, Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario Brothers World, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. He did Star Fox, Yoshi's Island, of course, Mario 64. I'm not going to read everything, but you get the idea. Like, he, yeah. 
you know he's he's and he's still pumping out music he's still a music supervisor for all the nintendo games that are coming out now so this is this man's you know life work and i just think that this track is very representative of just miyamoto and nintendo and just what everyone loves about about their their games and you know it's just a great example of just feeling good So walk me through that part of the game. You know, what are you doing in the game when that song kicks in? Like, what's that thing you think? You're about? kind of admiring the graphics. You're like, wow, I'm in a child's coloring book that's been brought to life. And I'm in this garden. I'm in a, And you're not really playing the role of Mario anymore, even though it's a Super Mario Brothers game. You're playing Yoshi and you're kind of escorting baby Mario. Um, and just you're just kind of really it's the first level and you're just really getting a grip for the mechanics and how eating is a big part of the game and then shooting out shells and you have to aim the, your shots. It's really, really about angles in the game about kind of managing resources because you can only have six um, shells kind of on cue it, to shoot at any time. And you can't progress in the game unless you're making your shots. So, and also keeping baby Mario safe, which is when you get hit is when he starts crying and just super annoying. So like I said, I can understand why people don't like that part of the game, but I just thought everything was just done so well that i could look past that you know just don't get hit get better right get better at the game if you don't get <laughs> yeah. hit you don't have to worry about mario crying <laughs> yeah but, just get good yeah exactly but uh no nah, man it's just such great memories again i just remember you know being that age and being uh j- just just witnessing kind of what could really happen what could really uh happen with the super nintendo you know the potential of that console being unlocked there it was a, it came late in the game uh, I'm sorry, in the console's life cycle, the very next year is when PlayStation um, came out and yeah. it was and just, you know, 3D was it. But uh, Yoshi's Island was one of the last great 2D platformers on Super Nintendo and and probably, I mean, some of the best music for any Mario game period, in my opinion. Mm. That's good to hear. Um, so my other pick for very memorable song is probably pretty recent, so I might have kind of recency blinders on but i think i have enough like experience with the franchise to back up how much i love the franchise and i think i can't say it enough on this podcast how much of a persona fanboy i am uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that persona 5 made a very big impression on me this year and man when i like when i think of that soundtrack i actually i enjoy a lot of the music in that soundtrack shoji maguro is a star composer i think um he kind of fuses the idea of like kind of like poppy almost hip-hop kind of 
a feel into a lot of his music. Like, yeah, I mean, like there's acid jazz there too. It yeah. melds genres in very interesting ways. Right. And I mean, you beat persona four, like you played through all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Jack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that soundtrack stellar stuff, right? My favorite um, of the, of that series so far, but granted I'm still early in five. Right. And did you play persona three at all? No, huh? Perso- I oh. played persona on okay. PS one. Oof. Yeah, and I've since, I've since gone back to that, actually, and just to see, you know, what my fresh take was on it, and it's so, so just rudimentary uh, yeah. and archaic compared, but no, I've, I've uh, so I played that one, and then I jump all the way back to Persona 4, and now 5. Mm-hmm. So Persona 3 also has a really, really good soundtrack. I'd recommend, like, maybe not necessarily play through the game, but just find the soundtrack online, maybe give it a listen, especially the battle theme. It's really good, I think. Um but no, when I think of Persona 5, I think the sound, the song from that soundtrack that stands out the most to me is the very first song you hear when you boot up Persona 5. Oh, wake so up. The... Yeah. Wake up, get up, get out there. Yeah. So that's the opening credits, right? Yeah. The opening credits song um, sung by Lin, uh, Lin Inaizumi. Um, she also wrote the lyrics along with uh, Benjamin Franklin, um, composed, of course, by Shoji Meguro. Um Man, because that, like, here's the thing. I've been a big Persona fan, right? And Waiting for Five has been hellish, you know, because that game it's here now. was... Yeah, it was originally supposed to come out, like, what, winter 2014, winter 2013, right? Yeah, and it was out in <laughs> Japan forever, and it, it, we just had yeah. to wait for the translation, really. Yeah, it came out in Japan, I think, October 2016. Um, so, yeah, no, I've been waiting for Persona 5 for years, because Persona 4 came out in 09, and I didn't play it till maybe, like, 2010, um, so, you know, it's, it's been like seven years for me wow. like, a gap, with the gap between persona games and you know, it's, it's this weird mix of, you know, like that feeling you get when you first boot up a game, you're like, this is going to be a good game. Yeah. But then mix that with like, you've been waiting for this for so long, yeah. like literally a third of my life I've been waiting <laughs> oh for my this God. game. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, third of my life I've been waiting for this game and man, just that, that second when the screen goes red and then yeah, you, you bump, bump, bump. You just hear that and uh, yeah. If you, I would so love good. to see, I would love to see someone's first just reaction to that. That's new to the series, that doesn't mm-hmm. just know word one, you know, about Persona. And I would just love to see what they think because instantly the game is just oozing and dripping with style. Like yeah. there's so much style out of every single corner of that game. Music, the the just just the flair it has. It's got flair, man. I don't really know any other way to say it. It's just mm-hmm. a flashy, sharp, sharp game in, in all things. And the menus, everything. We've talked about it, you know, on the podcast already. But Persona 5, like, incredible style. World class. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's definitely a game. Where, like, if you own a PS4, you should own Persona 5. I might be a little biased, but I do think it's probably one of the best RPGs that you can play.
No, yeah, that song, it just, it still gives me, like, the chills. It still reminds me of, like, all my hours playing Persona. Because when I listen to the other songs on that soundtrack, you know, like, um, Rivers in a Desert or Last Surprise, which are, you know, battle themes, one of them, like, for bosses and one of them, like, the normal, you know, like, you'll never see it coming, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I hear those songs, I think of the battles associated with them or just like battles in general. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I hear wake up, get up, get out there, I associate like my whole 90 plus hour experience with persona, all the highs and the lows, all the character interactions, all the, you know, like dramatic story moments, all those really tough boss battles where it looks like, you know, I'm about to lose it, but then I find a way, you know, like just yeah. everything about a good RPG comes back to me in that song. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great it just it's it really just kind of brings that whole experience together you know yeah is it a spoiler to ask if that song makes its appearance in the game or is it just in the first title sequence um huh i i want to say there is a point in the story where the song plays okay but I, i guess i can't really confirm that you know like 90 hours is a hard amount of time to sift through in your head and remember for sure and that game is more it's more rare to not hear music in the background i feel like with that game music is constantly playing and when they want to go for real dramatic effect is when they'll cut the music right and i mean like i i really associate like rivers in a desert for example with its boss battle Mm -hmm. because i remember that boss was the first time you hear that song you know it's like it's a Uh very novel experience you know yeah man talking about this game dude i'm thinking about how awesome the first 10 hours were yeah, so awesome. You haven't even seen the other 80. Like, I'm telling you, it's so good. <laughs> just 80 more hours. Don't worry. Okay. Just, <laughs> I haven't spent 80 hours doing anything <laughs> in the last year. So besides sleeping, obviously, but yeah. Awesome, man. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Hey, great I, I'm, you knew my picks coming in, but I didn't know yours and I, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. I think they're very solid picks. I should have known that something would have been from Persona 5, but that still surprised me somewhat. But Baba Yetu is a great pool, man. So I'm glad we yeah. could include those in this week's episode. I'm glad I got the, uh, Jack Zepeda seal of approval there. <laughs> hey, I go with winners. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a Grammy award winning song picker. Uh, oh, so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're also going to um, change it up a little bit here this week. Uh, Two man show. Uh, we normally do a would you rather um, where I find something and then the other two guys come in cold. But obviously we can't do that this week. And so we're changing it up. So now we uh, the format for this week is that we have both. Uh, come up with our own or not come up with our own but we've both found our own would you rathers we're going to ask to the other person um so i don't know what robert's going to ask me and he doesn't know what i'm going to ask him then we're just going to get these hot takes for you hopefully it'll be entertaining <laughs> who knows anymore <laughs> yeah what is entertainment yeah i i want to go i want you to ask me first i think okay yeah um so mine probably isn't like super hard hit it's it's probably not dramatic but yeah and we we'll don't have to take long with this either i mean we've been talking yeah. already an hour and a half so yeah yeah so we'll see <laughs> if you're still here so, like thank you but yeah what are you doing with your life it's time to, it's yeah, time to take no. stock of your life here and figure out why you're here <laughs> yeah who, who would listen to this podcast right <laughs> yeah so good so yeah i'm ready all right, all right. I, I you okay. know this is my first time doing it so i'm always the one yeah. asking so i'm on the hot seat okay so would you rather never be able to comprehend music again oh or never be able to comprehend like 
how to phrase this, like text that you want to read for fun. So like, you'd still be able to, like when you're driving down the street, you'd be able to read like, Oh, that's, you know, first Avenue or something. But Who like, if you're trying to, octagon? <laughs> but if you're trying to like read a book or if you're like playing a game where there's a lot of text based, like dialogue, you won't mm-hmm. be able to read it. Wow. Okay. So let me repeat this back to you. So what I re- rather never really be able to comprehend or appreciate music or comprehend or appreciate entertaining writing. Yes. Hmm. You know what? Wow, that's an interesting question. And I I actually have a, an, an interesting answer, I think, if I don't say so okay. myself. So it's pretty easy for me to say that I would rather not be able to comprehend interesting entertainment writing. And okay. it's very difficult for me to imagine going through the rest of my life without being able to appreciate and understand and comprehend music. And the reason why it's so easy for me is because I actually kind of know what that's like already. Mm. I was uh, in early, early, like first, second grade. Um, they they would pull every student aside and they'd go into a separate room with a special instructor or whatever. I don't even know. Some counselor or something like that. And they'd have them read a book and they would record it on cassette tape. Okay. That's how old this is. All right. So they record on cassette tape. And I would go in and I'd read the book and then the lady would like go like, whoa, like, you know, like real impressed or whatever. And they determined that I had a very advanced ability to read at an early mm. age and my pronunciation, my comprehension, my spelling, all that was like really highly marked. And so they put me in this advanced reading where I was reading like almost middle school, high school level, like, like literature. Right. But in first, second grade, it was, you know, whatever. But what happened is I learned that I w- that I was rewarded by reading well and reading fast. So mm-hmm. I would just learn to read fast. And I had that problem that was very, it was a big problem for me where my comprehension just did not exist. But Ooh. I could read super fast so no one thought I had a problem. Okay, so no one really considered, you know, like maybe we should like ask him about this or to reflect on what is said. <laughs> They're just like, wow, he can read that really well and really fast and he's well spoken, you know, for such a young age. He must be really smart when in actuality I was just, you know, kind of doing what I thought people wanted me to do, which is just read fast. So I'm sure you've, we've all been there where you get to the bottom of the page. You're like, what happened? How did I get here? Like, where did my mind go? Right. right. But that it was um, magnify that by like by like 10 times for me. I really had to work at it and and believe it or not, I kind of like fudged my way through high school (laughs) and like I only when I got into college did I really, really. So, okay, here's what happened. Only when I would read video game magazines, (laughs) believe it or not, (laughs) was I was my comprehension really good because it was always something interested me. So when I'm reading about video games, stories, magazines, etc., I was I would actually read slower because I knew that I had to read slower to comprehend. But when I was doing something for school or just because someone wanted to hear me read, I would just read it really fast and I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it. Right. Mm. So video games really kind of saved me as far as you know becoming a fully functioning adult. Um, and like I said, it wasn't really till college. So I really, really worked hard at getting my comprehension comprehension down. Uh, you know, to uh, adult levels, I think, you know, and just, I had to play catch up really. Cause if it wasn't about video games, I wasn't, I didn't really care, you know? Um, and for some reason I kind of gravitated also towards, um, true like war biographies as well. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know All what right. it was, but like generation kill was that article that was in Rolling Stone became a, um, HBO series was a best-selling book. I read that whole book cover to cover, like in a very short amount of time. I was very interested in that also American sniper for whatever reason, 
those books just really held my interest, you know, all the way throughout. And they were just page turners for me. I just wanted to keep reading them. Um, man. Yeah. So, I did not so, expect, I did not expect this, uh, this question to get that deep. Yeah, no, but it, it, like I said, I, I would rather, um, I would give up comprehending reading just because I'd know what it's like and I made it okay, I guess. <laughs> but I've always, I've always loved music. I've always had an appreciation for music. Uh, I mean, obviously genre to genre, like my affection varies, but I was that second grader that had, that was blasting Metallica's black album, <laughs> second nice. grade and blasting like guns and roses appetite for destruction one and two. Like I was that kid in second grade. That was like, keep keep your you know your friend like no i wasn't allowed to have any friends over because i was like the bad influence because i listened to the adult music <laughs> right um oh yeah. man he listens to cuss words oh <laughs> i want my mega man yeah. 2 cartridge back man no but, <laughs> but yeah but yeah i didn't yeah. expect it to go that deep either but hey that's a cool question well yeah there you go i came up with that myself too so i'm proud of that Awesome. No, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. I did not come up with this one myself. I actually went to the uh, bomb, um, com. I went to their forums and I know they have uh, pretty good you know discussions in regards to would you rather. So I couldn't, again, you know, the internet failed me. I just could not find great ones. So this one I'm asking, not because I think it's a great question, but it's just because I want to get to know you a little bit better. And I just genuinely want to know like what your opinion is of this and and yeah, we'll go from there. So, all right, punch it. Not, yeah, not a very original question, but would you rather have an ugly but very funny slash intelligent uh, slash committed girlfriend, or a hot and sexy but very stupid, boring girlfriend? <laughs> oh, easily. <laughs> I'm fir- reading this, by like- the way. This is not my question. <laughs> okay. I just want to know your answer. Very easily, the first one. Like no contest. Elaborate on that. Oh, okay then. Uh, so like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't believe in that idea of like, oh, looks aren't everything. It's all about inner beauty. Like that's horse garbage. Like, please, horse everyone is horse garbage. Yeah, everyone <laughs> at some level cares about physical, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, they've got a cute face or nice body, whatever. Right. Like everyone mm-hmm. cares about that on some level, but if we're talking, like we're, this is a question for a committed relationship, right? I don't know. I just read the question. I mean, would you rather have, it just says, an okay, ugly, so funny, intelligent, committed girlfriend or a sexy Committed hot, girlfriend. Com- yeah, committed girlfriend or a hot and sexy but very stupid, boring girlfriend. It's kind yeah, of a so biased question, I guess. A little bit. But, like, the the girlfriend, to, to me, signifies some, like, some sense of committed relationship, right? I mean, monogamy, like, at least. Yeah. So, when I think of a committed relationship, like... Like, let's say I do get a girl that's, like, hot or whatever, but she's, like, dumb as bricks. Like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't deal. Like, I'd catch on very quickly that this would not work out very well, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I appreciate having good conversations or someone, like, getting my quick wit. I like to think I'm a funny guy sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, just like, that's or just worst. like, ha, 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 that was funny. And I'm like, do you know why it was funny? No. Right. Yeah. Oh, I um, heard it in a movie once. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you started laughing, so I thought I should laugh. Too, you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. yeah, like that, that'd get very old very quickly for me. Like, even just us ba- like joking about it made me think, oh man, this hurts. Um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> like for me, I think I gravitate more toward people who can actually uphold a good conversation, who can like have some, you know, like quick wit and like good banter. Um, okay. Yeah. So 
I think it's like that's not a hard question for me to answer. What about and again, I didn't think it would be hard, but I just wanted right. to, you know, kind of get your take on it. But what about, you know, just to play devil's advocate, what about if a girl looked really good and she liked you a lot and she really wanted to date you, but she just didn't have that like, you know, mental capacity to 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 like she's dumb as bricks. No, nah, not that, but she just, you know, she just couldn't hold a maybe a, she just couldn't hold an intelligent conversation all night long. Right? right. But she has like the sweetest heart. You know, but she just misunderstood. You know, would you have the would you have the patience for her? Would you be like, you know, you, you know, you can't, you can't, you don't know why this is funny, so we're not hanging out. Yeah, I mean, I guess like like the legally it, blonde, right? Like type. Yeah, I guess it depends on like the nature of the relationship. Like if it isn't, what's the word? Um, like if she isn't super needy, sure, I could probably deal with that. Hmm. but now we're like getting, that, okay it, now we're getting into yeah. it more a little bit okay yeah yeah <laughs> but i just i don't think that'd be a good relationship in the end you know what I mean? like i'd probably deal with it for like a while but there'd probably be a point where i'd be like this this isn't working out what's your definition of needy needy everyone has um, their own yeah it's true okay so the idea of like ba- basically what i'd be getting at with that kind of girl right is i can tolerate to a point the whole like I don't get it or I don't like that joke went over my head or stuff like that. Right. Like, I can, I can tolerate that pretty well. Cause yeah, I run into it like every day. Like it's not everyone I talk to is like as nerdy as I am or like gets right. all my jokes. But like when I think of needy, I think like she's clingy and like wants to talk 24 seven. So the, I think like the more we talk, like this is going to sound bad. The more we talk, the more I have to explain my jokes and explain like <laughs> why this went over her head. And then that's, then I think I'm not going to be able to tolerate that as much. And like, at some point I'm going to like explode and that's just not good. Where's, where's your barometer? Like, is there any movie, right. That you would kind of use not just as a date night to hang out on the couch, but also kind of like a, all right, if she gets this, she's in, if she doesn't get it, then we have an issue. Like, is oh. there, is there a movie or any kind of, you know, or any comedian or any, mm kind of thing you would use as a again you know kind of a benchmark man no for compatibility, I mean, for compatibility um no because i usually like cater to other people a lot mm-hmm. you know so i'll look at like i'll try to figure out what they would enjoy watching i mean you mainly play healer and overwatch so it's pretty clear like yes. you cater to the good of of the group <laughs> yeah very rarely do i think about my own needs uh-huh. so yeah, I'd usually cater to them, but I'd have to say, like, if we were sitting down and watching like Blazing Saddles, and she found uh-huh. that like that'd be easily a plus in my book. Okay, have you ever seen Blazing Saddles? I never have. I've seen um, oh. I've seen Spaceballs multiple times, but okay. Blazing Saddles, I think it's not on Netflix anymore. That's the main problem. It, they just took it off, but clearly yeah. we're never going to date Jack. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, dang so it. Let's just cut cut that. I was early. just about to cancel. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my matrimony this year. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty hot stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, Blazing Saddles is a great movie. Would highly recommend. Like, not even as a barometer for to see if, like, you know, if this so person's like, That's just a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great movie. <laughs> I mean, definitely dated for its time. You know, you have to, like, kind of get where it's coming from. But, man, mm-hmm. is it good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, yeah, I I'm think trying to should... envision a scenario where, you know, you would you would be more into looks where that would that would matter more to you but it seems like you're kind of holding to your holding to your uh moral compass there <laughs> yeah and no, i'm a straight shooter here okay okay yeah. well hey that's awesome so cool Good. man well i i yeah. guess i got more out of that than i thought too so yeah 
So I guess I should wrap us up for this uh, two-man episode of the Tiny Disc Podcast. Definitely went longer than we expected. I did not think we were going to go almost two hours, you know. And yeah. also, guys, hey, get on those social medias. Um, we want to know what you would do. What, would you rather date for looks, you know, is... is uh, is you know kind of personality more or you or you kind of more about the trophy right or also you know just let us know if you would give up comprehending music or comprehending uh uh reading you know like we want to know we want to make this a dialogue join the conversation (laughs) yeah tweet at us using hashtag tdp yeah and Mm -hmm. also uh, again if there's like uh some music and video games that you think is awesome like we want to hear about that too like throw those in the comments and everything but we really appreciate everyone that has reviewed us on itunes so far five star do it up do it up and we want to also remind you that the contest is still going on and it's going strong um definitely get your uh reviews in so again the rules for this contest and uh, there, I know it's a big ask, but it will, really will only take about five minutes. We need five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag TDP. That's the only way we can see when someone's actually done something. Um, and then also subscribe to the podcast. Once you do that, you are in the running. Um, there are people entering, so it, it's not too late at all. But definitely get in there, and you will win a large cash prize. That will be awesome. So um, definitely we appreciate everyone that's entered so far and, and engaged with us. And we look forward to seeing more of them. But you know, help us out. If you like this podcast, help us uh, get some visibility on iTunes and, and just grow the fan base. So we appreciate it. Yeah, and you can totally follow us online on Twitter at Tiny Disc Podcast. That's at Tiny Disc Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at Tiny Disc. There's a group there moderated by Colin. Um, you can also email us at tinydiscpodcast at gmail.com uh, with any you know questions, feedback, comments, concerns, hate mails, whatever. Uh, we'll be sure to try and reply to you there if we can. Uh, but to wrap us all up here, Jack, where can we find you on social media? At Jack Cepeda on Twitter, J-A-C-C-E-P-E-D-A. Hit me up. Very nice. And uh, you can find me, Robert, on Twitter at Pinoptimist, P-I-N-O-P-T-I-M-I-S-T. And that wraps us up for this uh, episode of the Tiny Disc Podcast, I think. Uh, so tune in next week for another episode, and we'll see you next Thursday. Woo! Bye, guys. Listen.